Well, happy St. Patty's Day. What is going on, everybody? It's Jeremy Kaufman with Flag to Flag on Fox Sports 640, talking the latest from the world of NASCAR. And Martin Truex Jr., he is in victory lane for the first time in the 2020 season, or 2021 season, rather, as he gets the victory at Phoenix Raceway. And that is a uh, record-snapping winless streak for him. 29 race winless streaks snapped right there with that victory. It's not by far the longest in his career, but it is wild to see just how much Martin Truex Jr.'s career has changed over the years when you think about it. I mean, we're talking about Martin Truex Jr. not winning for 29 races and that being unusual, a big deal. I mean, Martin Truex Jr. almost went a full season without winning a race. This is a 28-time winner now in the Cup Series, but if you think about a few years back, Martin Truex Jr. not winning was really kind of a consistent thing. He went from 2007 to 2013, winning just once in 2007, and then all those years to his next win. And I think it just goes to show you how much Martin Truex Jr. has improved on his overall performance and what Joe Gibbs Racing and his time at Furniture Row Racing has done for this uh, driver, being one of the most consistent winners in the series, and to the point when a 29-race winless streak is... Big deal, and we're sitting here going, wow, Martin Truex Jr. hasn't won in 29 races? That's a good sign, because we expect to see him in victory lane, and 29 races was a long time for the Martin Truex Jr. we've known since he left Michael Waltrip Racing to go without winning a race, and he has broken that streak. Hopefully, going to have more wins this season, because last year he got a win early in the season, late in the year, with the way the pandemic played out on the months, and Martin Truex Jr. really never won a race again that year, so... Even though he was consistent and continues to run well, it's a big deal for Martin Truex Jr. to get the monkey off his back, get to victory lane, and start this season out with a win there in the playoffs. Hopefully, with the way we're having winners this year, I guess nothing is guaranteed. But for the time being, Martin Truex Jr. finds himself with a win and locked into the playoffs. Uh, and we've had a lot of winners to start this season across the board, but five for five right now to start the 2021 season, which is great parody, especially when you look at these winners. You know, only the last two weeks have we had, or not even really the last two weeks, Kyle Larson, I don't know where you would put him with that Vegas win on if it was expected or not. Truex winning, no big surprise. Everybody else, you can find a little surprise in their victories. So this year has still been pretty topsy-turvy. And this weekend at Phoenix was really the first time we saw the teams that have been consistent in this series for so many years show their power, show their dominance, and kind of right the ship. No real big surprises with these race results. Joe Gibbs ran well. Penske was dominant. Joey Logano, he was out there leading a majority of this race, led the most laps, second place finish, just did not have the restart they needed late, and Martin Truex Jr., he capitalized on that. It was not easy to pass, especially, it really never is at Phoenix, um, but Martin Truex Jr., he got that track position. It was so crucial. Got himself in the position to hold him off. We didn't have a late caution this week. And Martin Truex Jr., he goes on to victory lane, breaking that winless streak, his 28th career win. And you still got to look at these Penske guys, though, and what their performance was like. Because heading into this weekend, we talked about how important this race is. This is the championship race. We come back here, four drivers will make that final four, and that's it. Those four guys are going to have a chance to win that championship with one race right here at Phoenix International where we just raced. So, 
having a good run, even though things change from the spring race to the November race, having a good run here, it's a confidence booster. And when you go out there like Joey Logano, who has had great runs, he won this spring race last year, he was dominant today, this is a confidence boost in my mind, even though they didn't get the victory for Joey Logano and all of Team Penske, because they were all very fast this weekend. All three drivers in the top 10, Ryan Blaney, he picked up a stage win, got a 10th place. Keselowski, he had the pole for this race, led 19 laps early, top five finish with a fourth place finish. So these Penske Fords looked really good throughout the entire race at Phoenix. And I think that that is going to be a real confidence boost for this organization and really just shows you what to expect when we come back to Phoenix. Of course, you can't count out the Joe Gibbs guys. They got the victory. Martin Truex Jr. slashing that 29-race winless streak, and Joe Gibbs Racing was competitive in the top 10 with three of their four cars finishing there. It's Truex and, you know, getting the win. Denny Hamlin came home with a third-place finish, and Christopher Bell continues a phenomenal season in that 20 car. He got his first career, career win a couple of weeks ago. And he comes home with a ninth-place finish. So really just a fantastic run for all of the Joe Gibbs team, as well as the Penske organization. Martin Truex Jr., the 28th career win there this weekend, and that's going to be a huge boost for that organization as well. Granted, that's the top team in the sport, but anytime you can perform well at a racetrack you know comes back in such a crucial position later in the season, it just makes the entire team have a different swagger to them by the time we come back. Now the focus, of course, for Martin Truex Jr., they're in the playoffs, at least based on conventional wisdom they are, if we do not see 16 winners throughout the regular season, which has never happened. But could that be a possibility? Could we see 16 winners throughout the course of the regular season, which is 26 races, so that's a lot of different winners to have in that time. The conversation has started about that because we are 5-for-5 five five to start the year. But I'm going to say, you know, like they do on the Fox pre-race, I'm going to pump the brakes uh, on this one a little bit. I just don't know that five races is going to tell the tale of the next 21 races. We've, we've seen this before where a season starts out and we have multiple winners, while this year has had surprise winners in that mix, which makes things a little bit different and maybe gives a little ammunition to the whole argument of we might see more than 16 winners in 26 races because of the variety of these winners. But I just think it's too soon to get on that bandwagon. We have had this playoff format now for seven seasons. This is the seventh year with this. It's never happened. I don't even think we've had more than 12 or 13, so we never even come close to the 16. There's always a couple of spots on points. We have a lot of racing left to go. You look at guys like Martin Truex Jr. Yeah, he can probably win himself quite a few races. This is one of the most winningest drivers in the sport in the last five seasons, even with a less than impressive season last year. But you look at the Gibbs guys as a whole. Denny Hamlin, yeah, he hasn't won yet, but once he does, he's probably going to win more than one race. Kevin Harvick hasn't won. He'll probably win more than one race. These Hendrick guys, they can probably get themselves a couple more wins. We've already had two of them go to victory lane. So I'm not so sure that we're quite going to see this um, variety continue to the point that we have a winner not make the playoffs. Unless, of course, something happens with Michael McDowell and he comes outside the top 30 when we finish the regular season. That's really the only way I see that happening. But the way that the 34 team and really front row motorsports has been running, I think that they can stay in the top 30 in points, maintain their position in the playoffs with that Daytona 500 win, and that Michael McDowell will still make the playoffs. So I would love to see more than 16 winners. The more variety, the better. I'm rooting for it, but I would not be putting my money on that one quite yet. It's just too soon to make that decision. Taking a look at some of the 
results from the rest of the race, Hendrick Motorsports had some of probably the best cars there. I really feel like they could have won this race. But, and there's two ways to look at Hendrick Motorsports' race in Phoenix. On the positive, Hendrick Motorsports drove from the back to the front with so many of their cars so many times. I mean, we have Kyle Larson back to the front three times. He gets a seventh-place finish. William Byron started in the rear, had to come back to the front. He ended up getting a good finish as well. Um, he ended up finishing in the eighth position. Chase Elliott back to the front twice. He finished in fifth. So those are the days that salvage championships. When you can rebound from issues during the race and move forward, that's great. Unfortunately, I'm kind of pessimistic with the way I'm looking at this one today. Because if they hadn't shot themselves in the foot so many times, they probably would have been in much better position to win this race. I mean, let's look at what happened for the Hendrick cars. Right off the bat, Kyle Larson in the 5, the 24 of William Byron, they failed pre-race inspection too many times. So right off the bat, they're going to the back of the field. I mean, you had Larson, who was supposed to start on the front row. William Byron was in the top 10 as well. Chase Elliott had a top 10 start, unapproved adjustments for the green. He goes to the rear. So just like that, you got 300 cars that were going to start in the top 10, all dropping to the rear of the field. So you're behind the eight ball on a track where passing isn't that easy. This is a flat one-mile track. Not a ton of room to run. It's not easy to pass. But Kyle Larson especially was quick. Navigating through that field, he was giving everybody a reason to get on the Kyle Larson bandwagon. Well, what ended up happening to Kyle Larson was a speeding penalty on lap 32, and then again on lap 142. Two speeding penalties in one race, and this is a challenging pit road at Phoenix. We measure pit road speed time over distance, so you've got the lines on the pit lane, they're built into sections, and NASCAR knows how long it takes for you to get there, and if you cross it too soon, you get a speeding penalty. The pit road speed limit at Phoenix is 45 miles an hour. NASCAR always gives you five miles an hour, kind of like the cops do when you're on, you know, your regular streets. Kyle Larson was going 50.01 on the second one. And it sucks because you're like, 0.01, you can't let him slide, but then when you look at the argument... It's actually 5.01, so there's no reason to let him slide, which really sucks. So for Kyle Larson and company, they really misjudged pit road, and it cost them the opportunity to be up front late. They didn't have the greatest final run, lost a couple of spots, but still were running in the top 10 and could have honestly been in com competition for that win. I really believe if they just limited these mistakes, Chase Elliott, he sped on pit road too. He went to the back of the pack. We had 11 speeding penalties in this race. These are the issues you cannot have when we come back here in the fall. You look at Kyle Larson, that car drove through the pack so many times, and all they did was put themselves behind the eight ball time after time after time. Really, the only reason we don't know if Kyle Larson had a car that could win this race at any point during the race is just because they were always at the back of the pack. And, and to have this issue twice in a race, I got to imagine they set the lights wrong on the dash. You know, these cars don't have speedometers. You have to set things on the dash, read out the RPM, and you try to set your lights to match it. No practice. This is something that normally guys will try and work on in practice. The pace car has been leading them down pit road when we don't have practice so that they can get an idea of the pit speeds and set their lights. I don't know if they missed it on Kyle Larson, but to have two speeding penalties within the course of just over 100 laps, that's really rare in this sport. So Kyle Larson, 
really shot themselves in the foot big time from starting at the back to two speeding penalties and still finished in the top 10. So on one hand, you can look at it like, well, a championship caliber team always finds a way to rebound. And yes, that's true. But a championship caliber team can't come to a race and speed twice and fail inspection and then expect to be the champions and go ahead and win races. So Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, they've got to eliminate these mistakes that we're seeing if they're going to be consistent contenders this season. They lost the opportunity on a win. I think both of them did because of their own mistakes. We didn't have a ton of cautions, especially toward the end of the race, to catch these guys back up. And it just needs to be said, because it is true for Phoenix, it's not easy to pass. It's not like we're at a mile and a half like Homestead where you can rim ride up by the wall, run right by that white line. It's just not easy to do. You can't shoot yourself in the foot like that. When we come back here for a championship, that could cost them the title. So if I'm on the Hendrick camp, I'm looking at this pit road, especially knowing how crucial Phoenix is later on in the season. And I'm saying, okay, what can we do to fix this? Because we cannot continue to have these mistakes and be a competitive organization. Hendrick Motorsports, they rebounded great. Three of their four cars in the top ten. Alex Bowman, he has had the roughest start of the year at the Hendrick's table. Um, and rebounded, again, it's all rebounds for Hendrick after issues. They were involved in an accident early on in the race uh, around lap 40. He rebounded. They repaired the car. They ended up with a 13th place finish. But again, that's not going to be championship caliber. And, and for this 48 team, really... They haven't performed since Jimmy Johnson's last win years ago, so I think it's important for them just to get some confidence built back up and have a consistent run this weekend in Atlanta. Doesn't need to do anything crazy, just get a solid top 10 finish, start building on momentum, because right now, even though the other Hendrick cars had their issues at Phoenix, they all finished better than Alex Bowman. So, And that's been a consistent team, so if you're on the 48 team, you're definitely watching your teammates and saying, all right, we're the fourth Hendrick car right now. This seems to happen a lot. We need to get more competitive with our teammates and make sure we are up there battling them for the win just as hard as they're battling everybody else. A couple of uh, incidents on track also happened this weekend, and, and this one didn't get much coverage. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, well, we saw the incident on track. I should start with that. Kyle Busch and Ross Chastain, that was the final caution of the race when Ross Chastain uh, was or got into the back, rather, of Kyle Busch and spun him around. Um, now, Kyle didn't have a banner day. He was running okay, but ended up with a really poor finish outside the top 20 because of this late incident, and he was pretty frustrated with it. Came on the radio, and I know Kyle probably made radioactive, but he came on the radio and said, you know, I was just about to wreck that 42 car anyway, so... I'm not surprised. So there was something going on between these two before this happened. Honestly, I don't know that Ross Chastain took him out based on the wreck and what I saw. It, it looked to me like Ross Chastain was close on Kyle Busch. Kyle either got loose or tight. He didn't get off the corner well. Had to back out of the throttle to keep himself out of the wall. And Ross was there, and he got in the back of him. He spun him around. No harm, no foul. Kyle's frustrated, obviously, and the TV coverage did not get this part, but I saw on Reddit a discussion that apparently... There was a little bit of an altercation, although not a physical altercation, between Kyle Busch and Ross Chastain after the race where they had a disagreement on pit road and got into an argument, apparently, about this incident. So you're seeing frustration start to boil over for Kyle Busch. And I think this is happening because even though they're not, by any means, out to lunch right now, and they're not struggling like a lot of guys are. For Kyle Busch, we expect them to be battling for wins week in, week out. Other than his third-place finish last weekend, we really haven't seen that from Kyle Busch. So 
I, I think maybe you're seeing some of that frustration boil over. New crew chief, he's getting annoyed. He got turned by a guy who was racing him really hard. And that starts the argument right there. You see Kyle Busch and Ross Chastain have a little bit of an argument. And they weren't the only ones. A lot of guys were getting into some uh, arguments there. The big one that boiled onto social media, while, again, we didn't have any fistfights like Clint Boyer and Jeff Gordon, a uh, famous Phoenix incident, which they recreated in the pre-race. I thought that was pretty funny. They basically got them a little drunk and had them tell the story and green-screened Larry Mack and uh, Jamie McMurray and as the two of them at Phoenix. Um, pretty good segment you can check out. They got it up on the Fox Sports YouTube page if you haven't checked it out. But uh, Cody uh, Ware and Anthony Alfredo had their share of drama on track as well. And, and this in incident was interesting because we didn't really see a ton of it. But it looked like Cody Ware ran over Anthony Alfredo. There's really not a ton of other ways to say that. Uh, Cody Ware was on the inside of the track, and they both came into this one camera shot where Cody looked like he was going straight up the banking, clipped the rear end of Anthony Alfredo, sent him into the wall, and Cody Ware also nailed the wall too. It's not like he escaped from this unscathed. And afterward, he tweeted out how, uh, you know, a lapped car just wrecked their day. And that started a bit of a Twitter firestorm. I mean, let's be honest, Rick Ware Racing typically fall in the category of lapped car. I'm not trying to be obnoxious to them, but it is just where they run. They don't have the kind of funding um, behind them that other teams do. But Anthony Alfredo was a lap down. Cody Ware was still on the lead lap. They made contact. Anthony Alfredo wrecked. Cody Ware felt that it was his fault. I don't know what happened to Cody Ware. We really didn't see this full video. Cody could have gotten loose entering the corner. Cody could have maybe had some contact with the 38 that got him sideways entering the corner, and he slid up and hit him. You know, we really didn't see it. Now, I will say I didn't see Cody Ware offering any long-winded explanation, but he definitely seemed frustrated on Twitter with the attacks from fans going after him. And I will say I'm going to give Cody the benefit of the doubt just a little bit here because we really didn't see the start of that wreck. Yes, it looked like Cody just ran up the track and hit him, but he was well on his way to sliding out of the groove when they came onto screen. I don't know what uh, facilitated it. And honestly, it was probably more of a racing incident. For those people who were calling for Cody Ware to be parked after that, I don't see why. I get that it looked like he slid up and hit him, but I don't think he took him out intentionally. This is racing. Guys do crash into each other accidentally. Sometimes Rex looks stupid. You think, why did that even happen? But it doesn't change the fact that Cody Ware didn't intentionally dump the 38, he took himself out in the wreck too, so he wasn't trying to just take him out, move on, and keep going. He crashed, and the 38 happened to be involved. Um, so I think people are being a little hard on Cody Ware. I would cut the guy some slack. He, he's very open about his struggles on social media, and I know people, you know, the whole nepotism argument comes in because Cody Ware drives for Rick Ware Racing, his father. He's been allowed to run a lot of different cars. He's had a lot of opportunities, and some people really feel he doesn't deserve the opportunity. That's really neither here nor there. When I look at this accident, it looks like Cody Ware just lost the groove, and Anthony Alfredo happened to be there. I don't know why he blamed Anthony Alfredo. Maybe something, like I said, could have happened when they were off camera and we didn't get a great replay. Either way, they just crashed into each other. Why are we calling for a guy to be parked from an accident? This, this stuff happens. We're racing. This is NASCAR racing. This isn't Formula One. We don't just drive around not touching each other and being penalized if there's any kind of contact. Sometimes things happen. I, I think you got to back off Cody Ware a little bit. People are just going in so hard on this poor guy. He got into a crash. He screwed up, maybe. We don't really know for the, you know, the full story. Either way, there was no reason for NASCAR to park Cody Ware. I totally agree that 
regardless of what caused the accident, it was just a racing incident and there was no reason to go park a driver for that. Well, coming up in a couple of minutes here on Fox Sports 640, we got more flag to flag, and we want to talk about the traction compound and the actual racing at Phoenix, because there was a lot of people talking about whether or not that should have even been put down in the first place. Was it a good race at Phoenix? Jeff Gluck's poll had some interesting numbers on that. Plus, we'll touch on the Xfinity race. Austin Sindrick, is he the early favorite after he shows up and gets himself another win? More flag to flag is coming up in just a sec on Fox Sports 640. It's flag to flag on Fox Sports 640. I'm Jeremy Kaufman. Suits from the KPJ Show on 97.9 WRMF, our sister station, talking some NASCAR racing with you. And one of the big topics of discussion this past weekend, the traction compound that NASCAR is using at Phoenix Raceway, does it actually make for better racing or is it hurting the product? And that was a debate that we've had pretty much ever since NASCAR has used this traction compound on the racetrack. And a lot of these changes that we see started because, as usual, fans were complaining about something. It's a, a typical thing that NASCAR fans seem to do these days. Um, but here's some interesting notes on the race this weekend and that traction compound. Because a lot of people felt it was too hard to pass. We didn't have a ton of green flag lead changes. This is the argument that the traction compound being put on the higher lane is actually making it so the bottom is such a disadvantage. They're just single file on the high side, and it's so tough to pass that we're not seeing these uh, passes, and it's actually hurting the racing. Well, here's some interesting numbers for you. And, you know, I'm not going to say I was on the edge of my seat every lap during this particular Phoenix race. It was okay, so-so. I mean, I said it was a good race. You know, Jeff Gluck does that poll, and I think it was 60% or something like that uh, for good race, so it was a lower number, but I voted good race on that poll. Um, not that it was anything to write home about. I'm not going to remember the 2021 Instacart 500 in 10 years and be like, oh yeah, I remember that race. It, it wasn't anything special, but... If you look at the numbers of this race, I don't think you can argue it's a bad race either. 22 race lead changes with 3,228 green flag passes. Last year's race, the championship race, which people did not really think was that great, had 19 lead changes, less than today, only by a couple, but had 2,600 green flag passes compared to over 3,200. So we, we definitely saw some differences there. And the race that led to a lot of these changes, the race... Um, a while back, uh, or a year and a half ago, which was the fall race prior to that, we made changes, and everybody said the spring race from one year ago, which was the first race with the changes, was great. And we actually had less passing in that race than this race. Less lead changes by two, and almost a thousand less green flag passes. In fact, we had the most lead changes at a Phoenix race since November 2013. So the numbers back up that we actually did see a, a number of lead changes, a number of passes on track, I don't know what this illusion is, maybe because there weren't a lot of incidents because the cars were glued to the track and we saw long green flag runs that people think that doesn't make it as good of a race. I will say one noticeable difference between this race, the fall race, and the race that everybody gave a high mark to one year ago, 12 cautions in that race. Only seven in this race here and only four in the championship race. So potentially it's the long green flag runs that people seem to complain about. And I don't have a problem with that though. Everybody complains that stages are breaking up these races, but then if we have a long green flag run, everybody says it's boring. So why do you think NASCAR put stages in in the first place? They're trying to put the cautions out because everybody complains when we don't see a bunch of cautions. Everybody says it's a good race when we get 12 cautions and we have even less passing than we did in this race. So yeah, it wasn't exactly a history-making race to write home about, 
but I don't think you can say this was a bad race and that the traction compound, you know, maybe it did help. It would be nice to have back-to-back -back races the old way and the new way, but it's tough to remember pre-traction compound and be like, okay, well, this race, you saw this battle here and this battle here, and, it, you know, it, it's been a while that we've had this traction compound, but if you look back at the stats, this race here was the best-performing race at Phoenix with a traction compound on the racetrack. So I don't see how you can argue that, especially when we had to go all the way back to 2013 to find a race that could match up to this as far as passes on the track, and there was no traction compound back then, and there was no traction compound for the next few years after that when we weren't running as well as we were this weekend or even in the championship race or the race one year ago. So I think that the, the package is right that we're running. We need the high horsepower, the low downforce on these flatter tracks, and that change is what made everybody very happy when we came to this race just one year ago. But I don't know that the traction compound is such a detriment that everybody is trying to say it is, because when you check the actual numbers, racingreference.info is a great site for this. When you go there and you check it, it shows that we had a ton more passes and maybe it's something to do with the coverage. Maybe we're just focusing too much on the front of the pack and we don't see enough of the battles in the middle of the field. But either way, I still think that we had a decent race. It was nothing to write home about. And I don't think the traction compound is making things a snoozer. I just think people like to complain. I don't know what it is about this fan base. Everybody's always complaining about everything, no matter what they do. And then NASCAR makes changes because everybody's complaining and we complain that they change too much. I mean, what are we supposed to do with that? Either way, I'll tell you what, the traction compound that worked out in favor of Austin Sindrick as well as Martin Truex Jr. Truex won the cup race, but Austin Sindrick picked up his 10th NASCAR Xfinity Series win, and it is his second win already of the 2021 season. And, and I'll tell you, for Austin Sindrick, he has got a lot of attention around him right now. Is he the early favorite to win the championship? I think for sure, yes. Right off the bat, he's got two wins. He's in his second season in this series. And you look at the performance he had last year. He's the defending champion. He had a bunch of wins last season. The only guy that really was a lot better than Austin and I think was the dominator was Chase Briscoe. And he still was very much in contention with Austin Cendrick week in, week out. But, you know, Chase Briscoe's moved on to the Cup Series, so he's gone. Harrison Burton, Brandon Jones, they're going to be able to give him a run for his money. But Austin Cendrick ran much better than them last year. He's already got two wins on the season now. I think you're crazy to not look at Austin Sindrick and say, that guy right there is the one to beat. Even early in the season, he has put a statement out there. He won the championship by winning Phoenix in overtime last November. He wins Phoenix again this time around. Plus, he won on the Super Speedway at Daytona, so we know he knows how to run those kind of races. And now he's got a win on a track, which, I mean, we talk about the difference between winning at a Super Speedway and winning everywhere else. When you win somewhere else, it shows, okay, this team is firing on all cylinders. Plus, they got the Daytona win, just as a little added bonus. I think Austin Sindrick is the championship favorite, without a doubt, in the NASCAR Xfinity Series this season. Although, I, I gotta be honest with you, he might be lucky Ty Gibbs is not running a full season. And I'm a little worried about Ty Gibbs. I'm not gonna lie, and I know that sounds weird because he's running so well. But we have a habit of jumping the gun and comparing these guys to legends right off the bat. Ty Gibbs is already drawing Jeff Gordon comparisons. And we saw this before with Joey Logano, the best thing since sliced bread, where he was rushed up into cup 
because an opportunity presented itself after he started out in Xfinity and started winning right off the bat. Uh, I want to say it was his third start back in 2008 um, at Kentucky. That's where Joey Logano shocked the NASCAR world and got that win, and that's what Ty Gibbs just did. A couple of weeks ago, winning at the Daytona Road Course, he just picked up another ARCA win. It's his first full-time ARCA season, but he's already had a handful of wins over the last couple of years. Won that race handedly at Phoenix on Friday night, and then after winning his first race in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, he bounces back almost immediately and grabs himself second place right out there at Phoenix, after winning that race. So in two starts, he has a worst finish of second and a best of first with an average finish of 1.5. That's unbelievable to make your first career start and start out that way. But I'm worried about everybody jumping on this hype train and rushing Ty Gibbs. He's very good, but we got to give him the time to develop. He's already jumped the truck series, and I was worried about that from the get-go, but clearly he's good. He can come into Xfinity. He can compete. Don't throw this guy to the Cup Wolves too quickly. Let's let Ty Gibbs run a full Xfinity season next year. I think he needs to do that. I would have said trucks if he didn't come out and just blow everyone's mind. And he may be incredibly dominant in Xfinity and stink up the show next year. But I still think it's important that we give him the opportunity to learn before we throw him in the Cup Series, set these massive expectations that he's going to win right off the bat, like we did for Joey Logano, and then when he just runs like a normal rookie, everybody gets disappointed in his performance, think he's overrated, he loses his job. For Joey, it worked out because he got an opportunity at Penske right when he finally was starting to hit his stride, and obviously he's made a very successful career winning a championship in a Daytona 500. But you got to realize how close that was to not happening. Joey Logano was out of a ride, and really, if A.J. Allmendinger didn't have the issue with the failed drug test and losing his ride at Penske, I don't know that that seat would have been open for Joey Logano. So I just don't want to see Ty Gibbs risk that. And, and, and I know a lot of people who are listening are probably thinking, he's Joe Gibbs' grandson, he's going to have a ride forever, you, you sound like an idiot. Well, yes, he's, the, he's Gibbs' grandson, and I know that's where he's getting a lot of hate from, just because if he happens to be related to someone who is famous... Um, doesn't matter what kind of an attitude, if he's humble or not, he's just automatically going to be uh, judged as Joe Gibbs' grandson in Silver Spoon. And he's had his moments where some people would argue, well, he's not humble, but he's also a young kid who needs time to develop and learn in this series. And I think that he can really have an incredible career, regardless of the fact that he has Gibbs' last name. He should have the time to get his feet wet in Xfinity, even if... He comes out there and he wins a couple more races in his 14 starts this year. He should have the opportunity to go run for that championship, to see what it's like to compete in the playoffs in the NASCAR um, national divisions before you go into the Cup Series. Don't throw him to the wolves because it might really stint the growth or stunt the growth of the 54 car of Ty Gibbs. And, and really, I, I think that if you give him the opportunity to run that full season, you're going to see a much well round, or much better and more well-rounded cup driver in the cup series come a couple of years from now. And Ty Gibbs will be a factor regardless of where he ends up, which I'm sure will be a Gibbs car. I'm not that naive. Um, uh, some other notes there on the uh, finishing order of this race. We had a lot of cautions in this race. Um, we had 11 yellow flags, the most at Phoenix in the Xfinity Series, since 2007 when we had 13 cautions, or um, 11 cautions, rather. Uh, that was uh, 13 in 2006. But here's something interesting, and I don't know if it had to do with part of the attrition or just where the cautions fell in the strategy. 
our top 10 was really crazy, and in a good way. The results of this race, we know we had Cindric Ty Gibbs 1-2, but Brandon Brown, that's a little team that could. They made the playoffs last year, which was really a surprise, and they just got themselves a third-place finish at Phoenix. An incredible run. Great job by that organization. Riley Herbst. We talked about this guy, a major struggle to start the year, a lot of accidents, some of it not his doing, but he has moved on from the 18 car, one of the best rides in the Xfinity series. He didn't score a win there. Now he's driving the car that Chase Briscoe drove to nine victories last season. There's a lot of pressure on that 98 because if he doesn't get to victory lane, who knows? This might be his last opportunity. Riley Herbst, top five finish, fourth place, great run for him. A.J. Allmendinger gets a fifth place finish. He's already got a win this year, looking impressive. He's another guy that could give Austin Cindric a run for his money in this championship. Teammate Jeb Burton in sixth. Bailey Curry from Mike Harmon's team in seventh. What an impressive run by them. Justin Allgaier, he ends up coming home in eighth. Brett Moffitt in Hour Motorsports gets a ninth place finish in Jeremy Clements. Uh, self-owned team there coming home in the 10th place. Another fantastic run. Great job for Jeremy Clements and, and that entire organization getting to victory lane. Well, coming up here in a couple of minutes for the uh, NASCAR news and notes we got on deck, the Dirt Nationals are going on at Bristol. A lot of drivers trying to get some experience in because we're going dirt racing just one week away. Plus, we'll get you set for Atlanta and catch you up on some new drivers in new places. Some cup debuts coming up, returns to the truck series, and a ton more, including a major celebrity and sports star who has just bought a stake in another NASCAR team. So Michael Jordan isn't the only basketball player in NASCAR anymore. Well, he never actually was because of Brad Daughtry, but there's another one joining the, uh, the field. I'll let you know who it is coming up in just a couple of minutes. It's Flag to Flag on Fox Sports 640. Jeremy Kaufman hanging with you on Fox Sports 640. It's Flag to Flag getting you caught up on the world of NASCAR. And this week at Bristol, it is very busy. Some 12 to 1,400 cars are running the Bristol Dirt Nationals, which is so important because they are prepping for a major race, not this weekend, but next weekend. For the first time in 51 years, NASCAR will return to the dirt track. Now it's Bristol. They've laid down a ton of dirt and sawdust and everything they need to turn this track into a dirt track, but there's a lot of questions surrounding this race. And a lot of drivers that don't have a ton of dirt experience, you look to that race immediately, you think Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, they are dirt racers at heart. They're probably going to be the favorites in the cup race. Those guys already have wins this year, which is surprising enough. Everybody thought they would win the Bristol Dirt Race to get their wins. So you know those two guys are going to be good, but a lot of guys want to try and get this experience. So in the Bristol Dirt Nationals, Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch, and Chase Elliott, they're ent entered in the Super Late Model Division, which is the um, feature that's going to be happening on uh, Saturday, the headlining feature. Fits uh, 60 laps, 50 grand to win, and they'll be competing in that. Austin Dillon and Corey LaJoy entered in the 604 late model divisions, which had their feature finish up early, early Wednesday morning, and Austin Dillon got himself a win on the dirt, and that's not the first time for him. He did win the Eldora truck race on dirt in 2013, the inaugural running of that. Um, Kyle Larson, of course, has won that race, as well as Matt Crafton, who is in the open modified division with Joey Logano, that race coming up as well, too. So a lot of guys trying to get this experience running this Bristol Dirt Nationals throughout the week in a lot of different kind of cars, because we know we're going to have some practice. It's not going to be a lot of practice for this Bristol Dirt race. So any extra seat time you can get is crucial, including the day before the Bristol Dirt race, because we got some truck racing going on. Kevin Harvick, Chase Briscoe, and Martin Truex Jr. are going to be in that race. Martin Truex Jr. hasn't won a tr run a truck race since 2006. That shows you how important 
it is to get that seat time. I don't know what you'll really learn for the cup race as far as how your car handles, but you'll get familiar running on the dirt. And that is what is so important about getting the seat time here. Brad Keselowski, he went out and drove a crate late model at um, Cochrane Motor Speedway in Georgia, too, uh, uh, the other day, just trying to get that experience. And you're seeing guys moving all throughout the field. In fact, some of these dirt racers are making their way to the Cup Series, including Stuart Friesen. Yes, Stuart Friesen, he won the last Eldora dirt race. He's been in the Truck Series for years. But if you don't know, Stuart Friesen is one hell of a dirt racer. In fact, he has over 330 wins in dirt modified racing alone. That's how good this guy is on the dirt. So he has got the opportunity to drive the Spire Motorsport 77. His cup debut is coming at Bristol Motor Speedway. And it's not often you say this, but I'm actually really going to be watching Stuart Friesen in the 77 because this race has the potential to be a wild card, a great equalizer, if you want to call it that, just like the draft. We don't know how these cars are going to handle. Aerodynamics is probably not going to be a big factor, so it's really going to be about how you can drive your car. And the 77 car technically has a win. It won at uh, Daytona with Justin Haley behind the wheel, even though that was uh, very much a fluke win with the way the Lightning uh, stopped the race right when they were about to go green and Kurt Busch just pitting and Justin Haley getting the win, leading just that one lap. It was... A wild way to end a race. But either way, I think Stuart Friesen is a guy to watch in this race with the 77 team. He has the opportunity to cause a major Cup Series upset. Heck, I don't know what the betting odds are going to be, but if you want a long shot odd, Stuart Friesen might not be a bad bet. Can't say he's going to win. So don't, don't hold me to it if you lose. But I, I don't know. Stuart Friesen... He might be a guy that could win this cup race or at least have a very good run. Um, and if it was any other track, I would say good for Stewart. Good to see him making his first start. Hopefully he can get a top you know, 25 finish and finish the race. That'd be great. Not today. Not for Bristol coming up. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Watch Stewart Friesen. I think he's going to be really good. Turning to this weekend, we got uh, Austin Sindrick making his second career start in the Cup Series, he made his first start in the Daytona 500, and I was impressed with Austin's run there. We talked about him in the last um, 10 minutes or so, winning the uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series race, and how he's a championship favorite to defend his title this season. We know he's going to be a full-time Cup driver next year. He's getting valuable seat time. The Daytona 500 was a great race for him. They ran well. They were caught up in the last lap accident, but they had a legitimate opportunity to get a top 10 finish there. So for Austin Sindrick, this is a big test, though. This isn't a plate track, even if it's not really plates anymore. It's the term I still like to use for them because they still race exactly the same as they did when they had the plates on them. Austin Sindrick, he's going to a normal mile-and-a-half racetrack. It's his first time experiencing this 550-horsepower um, package with the high downforce on the cars. And this is a challenging racetrack. I mean, this is what you would call the epitome of a driver's racetrack. Very worn-out surface, a lot of room to run. You're slipping and sliding around. The tire wear is going to be massive. You are going to be trying to get tires every single time you can change them. So this is a really great racetrack, I think. Penske did a great job picking this track to send Austin Sindrick to because you're going to get a ton of experience with ill-handling cup cars in the current package we have, managing tire wear, managing just your car in general, trying to keep it off the wall and keep, you know, from burning up your stuff throughout the course of a 500-mile race in Atlanta. 
That's very challenging. You know, the Xfinity Series only runs 250 miles in Atlanta, so he's going to double anything he has ever done there. So Austin Sindrick has a big opportunity to learn this weekend, and I'm very curious to see how he does because he's still got a great car. He's got Penske power. Austin Sindrick is anything but an underdog, making his second career cup start. And here's a name you might not have heard in a while. How about Bill Lester? Remember him? He ran in the Truck Series from 2000 to 2007, got a couple of wins in 2005, and I guess he just couldn't stay away because he's coming back, running some truck races. Yes, he's going to be driving the number 17 for uh, the 17 truck for Team G DGR, that's David Gilliland's team. Uh, two wins in 05. It's been a long time since he's been behind the wheel of a truck, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Now, I don't want to put any pressure on Bill Lester. But the last guy who had not run a NASCAR race in years, especially a truck race, and jumped in a truck, won in that one start. Greg Biffle. Remember that one a couple of years ago at Texas? That was wild. I never expected Greg Biffle to be in contention for that win. I mean, even with being behind the wheel of a Kyle Busch Motorsports truck, that win blew me away because he had not driven any kind of a race car in so long. Um, so, uh, no uh, pressure there, Bill, but... The last time somebody did this, they put on one heck of a performance out at Texas Motor Speedway. We'll see what Bill Lester can do driving the 17. And a lot of big names are going to be filling that truck in the coming weeks. Kevin Harvick, you know, we just talked about him, you know, running the Dirt National Truck Race, um, the Pinty's Truck Race. And that's coming up at Bristol to get some practice for the Cup Race. Um, and he will be driving that 17 as well. Ryan Priest is going to make a couple of starts in the 17, so it's almost becoming a bit of an all-star truck. So Bill Lester, he's got the opportunity. No word if this will be his only start this year. It'll be interesting to see if he can get back in the truck a little more, but watch for Bill Lester out on the track coming up this season, or um, this, uh, not this week, this weekend, yes, at Atlanta Motor Speedway. You'll be able to catch Bill Lester in the truck, and then Kevin Harvick is the following weekend. So many driver changes, they're hard to follow. Coming up at Bristol Motor Speedway. Here comes the big story. I don't know what it is with uh, celebs coming in and joining NASCAR this season. So obviously the big story was Michael Jordan, 23XI Racing, or 2311 Racing is how it's actually pronounced. Um, and he he bought a stake of that team with Denny Hamlin, and they got Bubba Wallace driving for them as a brand new organization. The kind of unsuspected one uh, was Pitbull with Trackhouse Racing, and uh, Daniel Suarez driving that. He became a co-owner with Justin Marks and a couple other people uh, on that car. and then. We also have, even though we, I don't even know if this team exists, the Money Team Racing, Floyd Mayweather's operation. I've been hearing about this team forever, and they never made a start. Now, there's talk they might partner with Spire Motorsports. Um, at this rate, though, they are taking so long to get started. I don't know that we'll ever even see this team on track. But Floyd, May Floyd Mayweather at least has an interest in NASCAR, and now, apparently, LeBron James has bought a portion of... Fenway Sports Group. So that would mean that he would become part owner of the Red Sox, as well as, you know, Fenway Park, um, Fenway Sports Management, uh, and the NESN, and, of course, the other Fenway, Roush Fenway Racing. So LeBron James is now a co-owner of Roush Fenway Racing. So, I mean, it's just wild to see all these big names getting involved in NASCAR. And I, I will say, with the LeBron James thing... He is not in the kind of position as, say, Brad Dartrey or uh, Brad Dartrey or um, uh, Michael Jordan are. You know, they, they, they have a lot more to do with the operation of the teams. And I don't think we're going to see LeBron James with the kind of involvement that Michael Jordan has with 2311 Racing. But it, it is interesting 
to see LeBron um, get involved and have a, an ownership stake in Roush Fenway Racing. A lot of big names are finding their way over to NASCAR, and I love this. You know, I, I saw some people like, I don't want LeBron James involved in this sport, and all, of course, already flipping out because of whatever he says politically or whatever that, you know, is. Honestly, who cares? Let the, the guy has an opinion. Let him do what he wants. You do what you want. If you don't like him, you don't like him. But you can't deny that a very rich, very famous celebrity from another sport has invested partially into NASCAR. And that's a good thing. I don't understand why we're always so upset when these people get involved. It's money injected into the sport. They have large fan bases. Even if you don't like him, he has plenty of fans, and they might get a few of them to cross over and say, oh, let me see how LeBron James is doing in NASCAR. Even if it's just on social media, even if it's just checking result or watching a video on Facebook, that's more eyes on the sport. I don't know why everybody gets so mad when these guys come in. People were complaining when Michael Jordan did. They're still complaining. If you put Bubba Wallace in a story, people just lose their mind because if you say his name, honestly, it shows that there's still a lot of work to be done because people just say what you will about Bubba Wallace, but it's getting a little ridiculous the amount of bashing the poor guy gets. Um, and I saw, too, you know, he is going to be doing the next-gen test today. It was supposed to start yesterday at Richmond uh, Raceway. Unfortunately, weather washed that out. Hopefully, they'll get some track time today. But the, the amount of bashing on Bubba Wallace is so over the top these days. Give the guy a break. Seriously. Yes, they have not had the greatest start to the season on the 23XI team or 2311 team. But, and, and I can't emphasize this enough, even though they have Denny Hamlin as ownership and they're partnered up with Joe Gibbs Racing, they're still brand new. They've run five races. Did you expect them to be in the top ten already? Because I sure as hell didn't. Give the guy a break. Let them get their feet under them. We don't know what this team is going to do. We have no idea where the performance will end up. There was a little shimmer of hope when they ran in the top ten a bit today and they ended up with their best finish, which was not a great finish, 16th. But either way, this team is brand new. They are right out of the gate. Can we just stop with the unnecessary Bubba Wallace hate? Regardless of what you thought at Talladega last year with all that drama, it was almost a year ago. Nobody's still talking about it. Stop bringing it up. Let the guy race. If you don't like him, then you don't like him. Big whoop. Stop bashing him every chance you get. If an article says Bubba Wallace in it, you don't have to go on there. It makes such a big stink. I'm just... It's ridiculous at this point. They're a brand new organization. They're not going to be running in the top 10 week in, week out. That's not expected of anybody. I don't care how much money you have coming in here. I don't care who you're partnered with. You don't expect that from a brand new team. You just do not. It rarely ever happens. And you know... Nobody's saying this about Trackhouse. They're not running as good, and I know they don't have as big of a partnership team. But once again, they're brand new. You shouldn't expect this out of them. So uh, seriously, we need to back off poor Bubba Wallace and Michael Jordan's organization. Let them get their feet under them. Let them have a chance to learn and get the team going. Well, coming up this weekend, don't my rant. We head to Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, great uh, triple header action uh, weekend. Uh, Kevin Harvick, he is my guy to watch in the cup race. He is so good at running that bottom line in Atlanta. And he just, he runs like a, a couple inches below the white line and does it so well. Um, in any series, he's always somebody to watch in Atlanta, always a favorite. Kevin Harvick, he's my guy to watch this weekend to get his first career win, or uh, first win of the season, rather. Far from his first career win, Kevin Harvick is uh, knocking on the door. 60 career wins coming up here. 
But here is what we've got going on this weekend. It actually starts a little IMSA action. That is going to be happening early on Saturday, the 12 Hours of Sebring, 10 a.m., and that's going to be on Track Pass with NBC Sports. Just 5 bucks a month you can get that. I mean, I have that thing, and it is awesome to be able to watch so much racing. 24 Hours was commercial-free. I watched as much of it as I can. It was great to do it without commercials. Uh, NASCAR action this weekend, starting up on Saturday, the uh, Freight Auctions 200 at Atlanta. That is the Truck Series 230 on Fox Sports 1. Then we have the Echo Park 250 following it up, a doubleheader Saturday with the NASCAR Xfinity Series. That's 5 p.m. on FS1. Uh, Martin Trix Jr. making his first start in the Xfinity Series in 11 years in the Echo Park 250. Kyle Busch will be in the uh, Freight Auctions 200, too, so he's probably going to win that race, I'd imagine. Although, he didn't win when I said that at Vegas, so who knows? And the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway, a long, challenging race for these guys in the Cup Series. That will be 3 p.m. Sunday, and you can catch all that action on Fox. And then we're recapping it all right back here with Fox Sports 640 and Flag to Flag Wednesday. It's either 7 o'clock you can catch us, and if there's any live sports on, we will be there right after they wrap up. And the podcast, too, is available. You can listen anytime you want, foxsports640.com. I'm Jeremy Kaufman. This has been Flag to Flag. We'll catch you back here next week to recap Atlanta.